Good morning, Missy O'Day. Today's scripture reading is Revelations 3, 14 to 22, to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or of the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you. God bless. Hey, Mom. <laughs> it's very cute. However, I don't love hearing her say naked so many times. Uh, <laughs> um, if you have kids and you would like to dismiss them to participate in Missio Kids, um, Sydney, our kids volunteer, is in the back wearing a yellow lanyard. Um, you can send your kids to be with her. Uh, and then kids will be brought back in for the second set of worship and for gathering at the table together. Uh, I want to start our time together um, with a question. And I'm going to ask the question, and then we'll kind of return to it throughout the time um, as we work through this text in Revelation. And here's the question. It's very simple, uh, but I think it can require quite a bit of reflection on our heart. And here it is, is how do you handle feeling vulnerable? How do you handle feeling vulnerable? When you feel most vulnerable, when you feel most exposed, like you are about to be seen, what do you do? What are your coping mechanisms? What are your habits? What are your practices? What are your rituals? What are the things you do when you feel like you're about to be exposed, seen, made vulnerable? Now hold that question for just a second, and we will return to it in a moment. We are right now in a book, or in a series, walking through the book of Revelation. And the beginning of the book of Revelation starts with these little messages to seven individual churches. And these little messages, they help us understand what the book of Revelation is about. It sort of grounds the story in a real place, in a real context, with real people. And these real people, these real churches are wrestling through what does it look like to be followers of Jesus in a world where worship is contested, where it's not so easy to know what to worship, and it's not so easy to know how to live as a worshiping people, where there is lots of gods on the table, and there's lots of kings on the table, and there's a lot of options for us to choose from. And it's not always clear which one is the right one. So what does it look like to be followers of Jesus in a world that is contested, where imaginations are contested, where worship is contested, where hope is contested? 
And each of these little messages that comes to these churches is wrestling with different kind of situations in which that contestation plays out. So in one church, the pressure is around economics. How do we be followers of Jesus in a world where economics are pressurized, where they're driven by worship, where to be economically successful might lead to a compromise of our worship of Jesus. Some churches are experiencing persecution in the book of Revelation because they have made choices to worship Jesus and not participate in Rome, and so that's led to these little outbreaks of persecution or alienation or marginalization. And so they're trying to figure out how do we be followers of Jesus when we're pushed away from society? And each of these little letters kind of names these different issues that these little individual churches are experiencing, about wrestling with life in a contested world. Some of these churches hide, some endure, some accommodate. And today we come to the very final letter in this series before we kind of get into the weirder parts of the book of Revelation. And this letter is written to a church at a city called Laodicea. It's maybe the most famous of the letters. If you heard the passage, you probably know why. But there's two things that I think we should pay attention to as we hear this letter and explore it together. And the very first one is this, and we'll we'll break both of these down and return to our question. But the first one is this, that we can have a faith, quote-unquote faith, that is totally devoid of Jesus. We can be followers of this way and actually not be followers of Jesus. We can be Christian and to be a little cheesy, but without the Christ. And here's the second thing to pay attention to in this letter, is that Jesus is inviting us into a robust and living faith, but it will require being confronted with the thing that we are often most afraid of. So let's break those two big ideas down and see them in the book. The first one is this. How can we have a faith without Jesus? Because I think that almost feels like, when I was thinking about this idea, it almost feels like a contradictory notion, especially because for Christians, like, we would say, I think, that the center of our faith is Jesus. Like, we believe in Jesus. We, like, gather around Jesus. We sing songs about Jesus. Like, we say that Jesus is the Savior of our faith. So how can we have a faith that is absent Jesus, and I think here is what we can do, is that we can say we believe in Jesus while our lives are totally independent of Jesus. This is what happens in the book of Revelation in the church at Laodicea. In verse 17, Jesus says this to the church, after all, you say, I am rich, and I have grown wealthy, and I don't need a thing. Life in Laodicea is very prosperous. The community has grown rich from a robust textile industry. They make cloth and clothing and garments, which is why throughout the text you see references to clothing so much. Like, that would have been a thriving part of their industry. And then they've also grown wealthy from a thriving pharmaceutical industry. They have like an eye balm that goes all throughout the Roman Empire, which is again why you hear references to you should buy eye balm from me. There's two references to the cultural goods of the city And Laodicea has grown quite wealthy from these two goods. So life is comfortable, pretty easy. And I think what has happened is that the people of Laodicea have learned to manage vulnerability 
through work and wealth. They've learned how to manage that exposure to self through work and wealth. That if we work hard enough, if we are well enough off, then we can stop the exposure of our very selves to the world around us. And in many ways, that is true of us. Like if we think about how we manage our own vulnerabilities, there should be a lot of similarities there. And there's lots of kinds of vulnerabilities, and some are rightly managed by work and wealth. If you are uh, vulnerable in terms of housing, then you would need to get a home. That would be the right way to deal with your housing vulnerability. If you're economically vulnerable, then having money in the bank would be the right way to deal with that kind of economic vulnerability or a way of dealing with that economic vulnerability. Work and wealth, in that sense, stops them from being exposed to the elements. And I feel like that's very relatable to me in all parts of life. Like, if I feel vulnerable, this is how I answered that question at the beginning, if I feel vulnerable, my go-to coping mechanism is work. If I feel vulnerable in a relationship, the way that I want to manage that relationship, even using the word manage proves the point, the way I want to deal with that vulnerability in relationship is to manage it, is to control it, is to work hard enough so that whatever exposure I would might have in that relationship will be dealt with, will be managed, will be controlled. If I feel vulnerable about missio, then my go-to habit is to work hard. To say that any of the problems that we're having, oh, I could sure up with my effort, with my work, with my determination. If I feel vulnerable in my marriage, it's the same story. Coping with vulnerability doesn't have to happen just with work, though. Some of us do it through hiding. We just want to avoid the sense of vulnerability altogether. Some of us buy, which is maybe a different way of hiding. We have different ways of coping or managing or hiding from our vulnerability. Just like the people of Laodicea, the problem is this. I think we have come to believe that all of life's vulnerabilities can be managed. That if we work hard enough, we can control all of our vulnerabilities. Or if we hide well enough, we can insulate ourselves from all of our vulnerabilities, but in managing, hiding, and insulating all of our vulnerabilities, we end up hiding ourselves. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship that really mattered to you. This is the place that I think I've seen this the most in my own life. When I'm in a relationship that really matters, this can be a friendship, this can be a marriage relationship, and I'm in a relationship with someone that it feels like a loss would cost me something. That can often make me feel vulnerable, like there's something on the line. Like if this person doesn't respond the way that I want them to, if they don't love me back in the way that I expect them to, then I am vulnerable and exposed in that relationship. So what I do is I work hard to maintain that relationship. I try to dream of all the scenarios in which that, might, that relationship might be exposed and then work hard to control the exposure so that it never happens. So I perform, I have a list, I have deeds that I do, accomplishments that I do in order to mitigate any risk of exposure. My goal is to protect myself, make it impossible for me to fail at that relationship. But what happens is that instead of protecting myself, I actually lose myself. 
Because instead of being seen in a relationship, all of a sudden, all that is displayed is my performance. Not myself. In fact, I cannot let myself be seen in that moment because it would expose me. And in the same way, there's another dual side of that. When I work so hard in order to avoid being exposed, avoid being vulnerable, the other side of that conversation is that I often don't see someone else. In fact, it's hard for me to let someone else be someone else because then I can't control them, I can't manage my performance, I can't strategize around how I think that this relationship should go, and so I can't really see the other person I'm in relationship with. This just happens in my marriage all the time. If I'm trying to control all of the outcomes of my relationship, then I actually don't know Tori at all. She's never given space to be herself. Instead, I'm trying to control, manage, mitigate To keep myself from being exposed means that I am not seen and the other person is not seen. Now, what does this have to do with belief in Jesus? Well, I think that just as we do this with others, we do this with God. We have come to believe that all of life's vulnerabilities can be managed or insulated or hid from. And so then Jesus becomes a good idea, a theory, an abstract concept that we may like, that we may give assent to as like a dogma, but it is not a person or a reality to be experienced. And if Jesus is a person or a reality to be experienced, it actually becomes a threat to our well-managed control. C.S. Lewis, um, in I think The Great Divorce, described hell as being chained to a tragic version of ourselves, which I've always thought was a really beautiful and painful concept. He described that, I think if I remember correctly, in this story, someone goes to hell, and they're trying to have like a conversation with somebody, but they can't have a conversation with the real person because instead they're always interacting with what C.S. Lewis calls as the tragic actor. And it's this falsified, projected version of the self out. It's all of our attempts not to be seen. It's all the lies that we tell. It's all of our mechanisms of control. It's all of the ways that we hide. And C.S. Lewis says, as, we, as we continue to invest in not being seen, that tragic actor gets bigger and bigger, and the self gets smaller and smaller. And hell is just being chained to that tragic vision of ourselves. This person is an attempt at protecting ourselves. It gets bigger and bigger all the time, but in hiding, we lose ourselves. I think this is what Jesus says in the second part of that verse in 17. He says, After all, you say I am rich and I have grown wealthy and I don't need a thing, yet you do not realize that you are miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. That underneath all of the attempts at hiding, there is something underneath that has been untended. That you have constructed a large picture of yourself, and underneath there is something that has gone unseen for too long, and it is suffering. That you have put money and energy into the wrong place, and the place that needs the most attunement and care, well, that's been lost. 
Now that leads us to the second big idea, which is this, that Jesus is inviting us, I think, into a living faith, but it requires us to be confronted with the thing that we are most afraid of, which is our vulnerability. Jesus goes on to say in this passage in verse 18, he says this, My advice to you is you buy gold from me that has been purified by fire so that you may be rich. White clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be exposed, and ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see. There's two things about this verse that are very fascinating to me. The first is that Jesus says, buy from me. And I think that's fascinating because um, how? (laughs) Right? Isn't the story of the Bible that you, like, can't buy things from God? Like, that it's too big, that it costs too much, that it's too above us and beyond us? Why in this moment would Jesus use the language of buy from me? And I think the reason is actually to kind of make the point that you can't. That we cannot buy something from God. And that speaks to our deepest vulnerability that there's no way for us to control this. There's no way for us to work hard enough to purchase something. There's no way for this to be managed by me. The ability to purchase, well, that would keep it in my control. But instead, since we cannot buy something from God, it has to be received as a gift. But to receive from someone, well, that is a deeply vulnerable experience. Because to receive from someone else admits that we don't have something and we can't make it or purchase it or get it. We have to receive it from someone. That's a level of vulnerability and exposure that I often do not want to make room for in my own life or in my relationships or even with Jesus. That I might need something from someone else? Get out of here. Now here's the second thing that is so interesting about this. The three things that Jesus names in this passage, gold that has been purified, white clothing to wear, and ointment for your eyes, well, those are the things that the people of Laodicea have in spades. And these are the very things that make them feel so safe and protected from vulnerability. They are wealthy because of their textile industry, and they are wealthy because of their pharmaceutical industry. But in flipping them in this way to say, receive them from me, Jesus is saying, there is a kind of security, there is a kind of security that cannot be purchased but must be received as a gift. There is a kind of safety, a kind of wholeness, a kind of belonging that cannot be manufactured, that cannot be controlled, that cannot be purchased, that can only be received. And that is also deeply vulnerable. Now, what is the thing? What is this sense of safety that cannot be purchased? Well, Jesus answers in the next verse. In verse 19, he says, I correct and discipline those whom I love. The kind of safety that cannot be purchased, the kind of belonging that cannot be manufactured, the kind of security that cannot be controlled, 
is a love that does not move, but still calls us into wholeness. It is a kind of safety that does not hide or try to manage our vulnerability. Instead, it is one that meets us in love. And it is a love that is not shy. It is a love that does not move. It is a love that does not bend. It is a love that sees vulnerability and calls us into belonging. It is a love that sees our exposure and offers us wholeness, not management. And that is such a beautiful idea, but again, it is so hard. It's beautiful because it is the only thing that offers us spaces of safety. It's the only thing that is good enough to actually say that I could give myself to that and feel at home. It's the only thing that says it will see you in all that you are. But it's hard because you also have to receive it. And our management and our coping and our hiding has convinced us that we don't need it or that we don't deserve it or that we should be in control. And receiving means that we don't get to be in control. In verse 20, Jesus says this, this thing that's very beautiful. He says, look, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and be with them, and I will have dinner with them, and they will have dinner with me. I think this moment illustrates the beauty and also the difficulty of the thing that we're talking about. All you have to do is open the door and let Jesus in. But letting Jesus in means that someone enters your home. And having guests is hard. There is a level of vulnerability that comes in having house guests. I see your bathroom. How clean is your molding? Did you get underneath the toilet? My wife would see it. I'm just telling you. She's a one on the Enneagram. It means that she misses nothing. Having house guests is vulnerable. All of a sudden, your home is exposed to the other. It means that those places of secrecy, those places of security, those places where you are in control, those places where you feel safe because you have worked so hard to manage that safety, and you have done a good job of managing that safety. You have built a life on all of these mechanisms that would give you control and an ability to manage. And all of a sudden, letting someone else in means that they are exposed to the other. It means that someone is in your house. They see all of it in all its glory or not. That exposes your vulnerability. But it also means that they are seen. It means that in those places of deepest vulnerability, we are met with a steadfast love. It is actually both one and the same. They are exposed and they are seen. So the difficulty is the healing. The thing that is most like challenging for us, that is most frightening to us, which was to be exposed, is the very thing that would lead to the deepest sense of wholeness. 
Faith is like a dinner party. The problem is, most of us, we can go back and forth, but I think a lot of us have been throwing dinner parties without any guests. We've set the table, we've laid the dinnerware, we've cooked the food, and it is perfect, yet no one's eating it. And in that moment, it stays exactly like we want it to. But we actually haven't let anybody in. Nothing's exposed, and nothing is seen. So, Missio, what if we let the guests in? What might happen to us if we were to be seen? If our places of vulnerability were truly exposed? If those things that we hide the most, that we control the most, that we manufacture systems around the most, what if those layers were pulled back and we were seen and we were known? What might happen? I think, at least in part, we would be freed. Paul says in Galatians 5 that for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I think the love of Jesus is meant to liberate us from our attempts at control, from our attempts at management, from the tragic actor that we have tied ourselves to that actually squishes who we really are. I think we would find ourselves freed. And that kind of freedom, it's rambunctious. It's like having guests at your home who eat too much food and maybe drink more wine than you wanted them to. It's hard to control. I think that's the kind of freedom the dinner party is inviting us into. A freedom with ourselves, a freedom with one another that we get to extend to one another and receive from one another, and a freedom in the presence of Jesus that we could begin to extend to the world around us. The kind of freedom that leads into wholeness, to healing, because it's safe. So what if, Missio? Now would you take that question with you? And would you bring it to this table? Every week, we gather at the table. We set it up in the center of our room. We gathered it every single week because we believe that Jesus is, as cheesy as this sounds, knocking at the door and wanting to enter the party, and that we get to choose whether or not we receive Jesus in as a guest or not. Jesus won't force the door down. He's not coercive. But he won't leave either. It's kind of annoying that way. <laughs> so, Missy, would you take that question, what if we let Jesus in, if we were to be exposed and seen, 
by love that calls us into wholeness? Like, what if, would you bring that question to the table? Would you begin to wrestle with what it looks like to let loose some control, some management, and to receive Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are what you say you are, standing at the door and knocking. There is a steadfast consistency to your presence. That no matter what we do, no matter how much we want to push you away or abandon you or move into ourselves or hide from you, that you are consistent and steadfast, faithful. Jesus, we are met today with the faithfulness of you. Would it create that sense of safety that we can be seen, that we can be exposed, that we can be truly vulnerable because this is a safety and a faithfulness and a love that does not move no matter what it sees, no matter what it experiences, that it is always true. God, would that be the thing that we meet today? God, as we meet it and we experience your safety, would we find ourselves freed into wholeness, freed into you. God, lead us into that. In your name we pray. Amen. Monsieur, when you're ready, we invite you to the table. The elements are still sealed for safety, so you can come to the table. Stay at the table. Pray. Take the elements with someone else or by yourself. Or if you feel safer or just like you want the space, you can take the elements and go back to your seat. And if you would like someone to pray with, there will be two of us over here at this table um, to pray with you, to pray over you, um, or just to pray there silently regardless. Mr. would you keep worshiping with us?